Hello, and welcome to PCB Chat, where we talk with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Buteau, president of the PCEA. Regular listeners will recognize today's guest. David Shield is executive director of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. PCBAA was founded in 2021 to advance U.S. domestic production of PCBs and base materials. The organization is made up of corporate members of all sizes and includes fabricators, assemblers, and their suppliers. David, it's always a pleasure to have you here on PCB Chat. It's great to be here, Mike. Thank you. So much has happened since we last spoke in July. The big news this month is a couple of major investment announcements by your members, uh, one in Michigan and one in New York. So let's start there. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, our industry continues to demonstrate uh, an ability to invest in itself and to lead in innovation. We know that in addition to the next generation microelectronics, the next generation semiconductors, I should say, that are going to be made in uh, part with CHIPS money in places like Ohio and Arizona, that we're going to need next generation PCBs. We're going to need next generation substrates to form a next generation electronics stack. And some really, really good announcements in recent weeks demonstrating our industry's commitment to the next technologies we'll need to sort of power the future, uh, to borrow a phrase. And uh, you mentioned a couple of them, right? First, in Calumet, Michigan, Calumet Electronics partnered with the Michigan Economic Development Corporation to um, expand their capacity in the field of organic substrates. It's going to mean millions of dollars, I think about $7 million in capital expenditures, 80 new jobs in the UP, and certainly a critical capability when you talk about organic substrates. Also, we see from TTM an announcement that in the state of New York, they're going to spend nearly $100 million to expand their Syracuse facility and the ability to produce ultra-high-density interconnect PCBs, another next-generation technology that we really critically need. And then finally, going back to our friends at Calumet, a really exciting announcement this week from the Defense Department that the Defense Production Act accounts, and we talked about the president invoking DPA right earlier this year, are going to contribute almost $40 million dollars for defense-specific printed circuit boards that are going to be built at Calumet. And so what you see there is investment by the government, right? The Department of Defense, the state of Michigan, understanding that we have to build out the entire microelectronics stack. But you also see private sector commitment. You see these companies stepping up and saying, we will break ground. We will engage in greenfield initiatives. We will invest in next-generation technology. And I think it demonstrates that the PCB and substrate industries in America are not sitting still. And this is great news. Now, of course, I have to caveat that with the statement that while this is a good first step, as the CHIPS Act was, this does not go far enough to reverse the slide and reverse the contraction that we've seen over the last 30 years. We used to have 2,200 board companies. Now we have something like 150. We used to have 30% of global market share. Now we have something like 4%. In order to reverse that slide and build truly resilient and secure supply chains, it's going to require government policy and government investment to the tune of billions of dollars. And while the millions we saw this week are a great first step, I still think we need things like the PCBs Act. I still think we need increases in funding for the Defense Production Act accounts and those appropriations. I think we need to see more tax incentives to buy American when it comes to microelectronics. So it is it is a good news story, but it's a yes and story. Okay, so a lot to unpack there. Um, When we spoke last, 
industry had just sent a letter asking for 100 million in the next budget toward onshore PCB and IC substrates technology development. And they were specifically targeting the Defense Appropriations Subcommittee, if I remember right. And as you noted, the Calumet Award was in fact provided by the Defense Production Act. So can we say that that approach worked? You know, I would say this. The DPA account has been used to a limited extent to support the industry. If you look at the amount of money that's allocated versus the expenditure, they don't match up. And my view is that one of the reasons that the appropriations committees cut the DPA account this year is because their feeling was that perhaps the money was not being spent fast enough and efficiently enough. We have a great team of people under Secretary LaPlante at the Pentagon who are committed to the supply chains that power everything that our men and women in uniform use, and they understand the critical role of microelectronics. We have folks on the Hill who similarly want to fund the DPA account. I think there's a little bit of a mismatch, and that's why we've been on Capitol Hill consistently this year with the partnership of IPC to say, don't cut the DPA accounts. That's our message to the Congress. And to the Pentagon, spend more robustly and more quickly inside of the accounts because the need is is now. So does that suggest that some funds remain on the table to be allocated in the right situation? Or was the Calumet Award essentially the entirety of what was available for the current fiscal year? No. And I need to share with you uh, an account that the, the Department of Defense just released today detail, detailing how DPA funds have been spent. No, there's still money on the table. And obviously, these are not simply blanket awards. They're targeted at specific technology sets and specific programs and specific critical needs that the Department of Defense has identified. Um, I would say to anybody in industry, you need to have a specific plan and you need to be meeting a specific DOD requirement to go and, and seek out these funds. And that's what Calumet did. I don't think this is the last domestic PCB or substrate company you're going to see receiving an award. And of course, there's a whole microelectronics ecosystem beyond boards and substrates that the DPA can be used to fund. But my answer would be, I think there are many more companies that could contribute to that ecosystem that could apply for funds. And I think that that demand signal would probably overwhelm the amount of money that's currently available. We need to work out this disconnect between Congress and the Pentagon first, make sure these accounts are funded at the appropriate levels and consistently year over year. And then I think we can pivot and engage with our customer at the Pentagon and say, okay, how do we make sure that this is getting out the door quickly getting to industry quickly. As you know, these are not technologies that get developed overnight, right? There are months or sometimes years of lead time to build uh, circuit boards and substrates that will work with next generation chips, but also in the very dynamic environments that you find in the national security arena, right? So I think the time to act is probably now. And you know, we're talking to, again, both the executive branch and the legislative branch about what needs to be done. And now a word from our sponsor. PCEA announces three upcoming webinars on PCB materials, thermal management, and the impact of artificial intelligence on electronics. On December 13th, Tony Sinise and Erica Yamato of Panasonic will present PCB material properties, consideration for design and manufacturing. On January 17th, Doug Brooks and Dr. Johan Adam will present via and trace currents and temperatures. And on January 23rd, a special panel will debate AI and electronics. All webinars will include time for audience questions and are available for free to all PCEA members. PCEA membership is also free. 
For information, visit pcea.net forward slash events. Now back to the podcast. Is it within the realm of possibility that monies that were allocated by the CHIPS Act could be used as almost on a pass-through basis to help support uh, supply chain companies that are trying to build products that then would be part of the chips ecosystem. So for example, that an Intel, a Micron, uh, so forth, could actually um, receive uh, funding that then would be used to help boost technology development at the IC substrate level with a partner company. Mike, this is such a great line of discussion because obviously our association launched in the midst of the fight for the CHIPS Act. The semiconductor industry has been well-organized, well-funded, and and focused on the goal of government support for a number of years. The CHIPS Act took almost five years from the time it was conceived to the time it was signed on the president's desk, and the money still has not begun flowing. There is money from the CHIPS Act that goes to the Department of Defense. There is a great deal of money, almost $52 billion dollars that is designed to be allocated. We are just starting to see the funding guidance from the Department of Commerce, and we are just starting to see some of the initial awards. Here's what I would say about CHIPS money. The way Congress wrote that law and passed it, the language is interpreted to mean semiconductors. I think you are seeing a recognition at the Department of Commerce under Secretary Raimondo that we need an ecosystem. She uses the term manufacturing nodes. And I think what she is envisioning is a chip fab surrounded by a test facility, surrounded by raw material suppliers, surrounded by board and substrate manufacturers. It has not been articulated exactly that way. And we have been in to see the CHIPS program. We have let them know that we're part of the ecosystem. My sense is that this money will be allocated over the better part of a decade and that the first people to sort of feed at the trough, if you will, will be the world's largest semiconductor manufacturers, the Intels, the Microns, the TSMCs. And at some point, we think that... Uh, a reinterpretation or another look at the CHIPS Act and where the money is going would be a good idea by both Congress and the administration. But right now, when you look at the guidance documents that detail how you can apply for CHIPS funds, they do not seem to carve out a space for board and substrate manufacturers. Got it. And now the, I should say there is a, an entity or at least a um, an attempt to to establish an entity uh, that's being driven by some longtime veterans of the PCB space, uh, you know, that is looking at uh, developing the capability, the capacity and the capability to um, mostly prove out a, a process for doing high volume, uh, you know, tight lines and spaces product, and then transfer that knowledge to various US-based uh, board fabricators. Is that something, I know some of your members are involved at least, you know, peripherally in that effort. Is that something that PCBAA is is getting involved in as well? I think you are referring to what the U.S. Partnership for Assured Electronics is working on and um, the PCB Market Catalyst Program, the Defense Business Accelerator Program. A lot of leadership over there uh, from um, Chris Peters, uh, uh, from uh, Nathan Edwards, that team. It's not something that our advocacy uh, association is, is primarily focused on. What we are trying to do is get legislative and policy remedies through the executive and legislative branches. I think you can think of USPAE more appropriately as a uh, B2G uh, you know, organization that is bringing 
critical uh, material suppliers and manufacturers directly to the Pentagon to facilitate arrangements. It's a good program. You see a lot of our members and a lot of IPC's members participating in it, but it is not the educate, advocate, legislate mission that we were formed to execute. So I think it's something worth investigating if you're uh, one of your listeners and you're interested in doing business with the Department of Defense, but it is a little bit uh, outside of our focus. Understand. Now, the TTM announcement in New York looks more like a partnership between the company and the state rather than the federal government. Is that a fair statement? And if so, does PCBAA get involved at the state level? We are primarily federally focused at the moment. Uh, My view is that eventually we are going to have to start getting the message out to the states. And I will tell you, we've talked with economic development corporations and even mayors all over the country about what increased manufacturing of PCBs and substrates would mean. You are seeing states move very quickly on the heels of the CHIPS Act. I mean, New York, Arizona, Texas, California, Ohio, uh, these all come to mind, Illinois, when it comes to incentives. And the state of New York, the state of Michigan, they are partnering with some of our member companies to say, hey, how can we speed the process of construction? How can we help you with workforce issues? You know, what incentives are available on the ground? Certainly that's what the MEDC, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, did with Calumet. And yes, TTM and the state of New York have a very positive relationship. At present, the remedies we're looking for, the billions of dollars in direct funding and the tax credits are being sought at the federal level. And the reason for that is because we want them to apply across the country to anybody within the, you know, the contiguous borders of the United States who's doing this sort of work. And our 44 members come from all over the country. I think once we have run that process, and it's probably a process that will continue to run for for many years, um, we will have to branch out and we will have to start thinking about state initiatives. And for now, uh, again, I would tell any of your listeners Certainly look to the Department of Commerce and look to Congress and look to the federal government for support of American manufacturing, but uh, don't sleep on what your state and local governments might be offering as well. Okay. So along those lines then, the Protecting Printed Circuit Boards and Substrates Act of 2023. Um, Last I saw, uh, H.R. 3249, which is the the House number, um, was in committee and had, I believe, seven co-sponsors. So, you know, that's really your bread and butter, correct? Yeah, actually, you know, I'm glad you brought this up. There's really three... Uh, major policy initiatives that I think we're we're tracking, right? And I will get to the PCBs Act, but I want to mention two others. The first is this idea that the Defense Production Act is a hunting license and that we then sort of have to have bullets in the gun in the form of appropriations funding. I mentioned the fact that the DPA account was cut for FY24. We are trying to get those cuts restor- uh, reversed, restored, and also have money added to the DPA account. We talked about how just in the last few weeks, you've seen almost $40 million flow into Calumet from that account. There's, I think, more that could be done. So that's one policy priority. The second would be the continued defense of provisions in the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, that call on the Pentagon to look inside its commercial off-the-shelf supply chain, all of its COTS technologies, and say, where are microelectronics from restricted countries, countries that we do not want to do business with in the defense um, arena? And we have agreed, or the Pentagon has agreed, that by 2027, they will have a plan to look inside those COT supply chains and make sure that everything is trusted and sourced accordingly. I think that's a great opportunity for American manufacturers beyond the ITAR market, where we obviously provide critical technologies today. Because it's a 2027 implementation, Mike, 
we have to keep it sold. We have to play defense and make sure that is in every successive NDAA for the next several years. Finally, there's the Printed Circuit Boards and Substrates Act. Now, we have a House version of that bill championed by Congresswoman Anna Eshoo and Congressman Blake Moore, bipartisan support growing on both sides. We need a Senate companion. And I've spent a lot of the last few months going directly to the United States Senate and doing a lot of education. What are PCBs and substrates? Why do we depend on them? Why has this supply chain gotten a little fragile and a little thin? And what can we do to reverse it? So we need a similar bipartisan bill in the Senate. Most people probably don't realize there was a chips bill in the House. There was a chips bill in the Senate. They reconcile those differences in what's called the conference committee. It eventually goes to the president's desk. Legislation is a long road. We've gotten our House bill. We need our Senate bill. So that's really our third uh, leg of the legislative stool, if you will. And any early indications as to who might be a co-sponsor on the Senate side? You know, I'm going to reveal that when we when we feel like we have commitments. I will say we've gotten very positive feedback from Democratic and Republican senators. Both uh, sides of the aisle seem to understand this is, an is-, is a real issue related to economic security and national security. Um, nobody's ready to put their name on the bill quite yet. But I can tell you they're looking at the House legislation. They're looking at where their constituent interests lie, right? The states where we manufacture these technologies and have a vested interest. Um, and I'm optimistic that very soon we will have a Senate companion bill and we will move forward then to advance both uh, in both chambers. What would you recommend listeners do insofar as trying to directly encourage, you know, I, I tend not to use the word lobby uh, because <laughs> some people are scared of that word, but to encourage or nudge their legislators in favor of restoring the cuts to the DPA, uh, signing on to the Printed Circuit Board and Substrates Act, uh, you know, getting on board with getting one introduced in the Senate and so forth. So I would say there's two things that industry can do. The first is to assist us in our educate part of the educate, advocate, legislate mission. And what I mean by that is engage with your local chambers of commerce, engage with your state economic development authorities, invite your local member of Congress, invite your governor, invite your state representative, your member of Congress to tour your PCB or substrate facility to come look at your microelectronics manufacturing line, get in there and explain to your elected officials what your contribution is to the economy and to the technologies that we depend on for modern life. Because I will tell you, the response we often get on Capitol Hill is, what is a printed circuit board? What is a substrate? Why are they so important? The educate mission is something that everyone can service. And if you are struggling with how to make that happen, please contact the PCBA. Please join our team because it's one of the things that we can help facilitate. The advocacy mission is being advanced every day by a team, including both PCBAA and IPC in Washington, D.C. We are calling on the executive branch. We are calling on the legislative branch. We are doing the briefings. We are advancing uh, legislation. And I think that that mission is best serviced by our trade association representatives and the committed uh, advocates and lobbyists that are that are doing that work. You've probably seen a lot of the public affairs work in the form of uh, interviews, in the form of op-eds, in the form of educational programs. But I don't think that your listeners can sit on the sidelines. The call to action is to engage with your lawmakers because I guarantee you, if you are running a manufacturing facility anywhere in the country, right down the road, the corn growers, the steel workers, the, the, the folks who design and, and, and you know introduce software, uh, the retail chains, they are all engaged in this kind of education, advocacy, and legislative outcomes. It is not unusual in Washington, right, to be going into a meeting and someone is walking right out the door 
They had their concern. We have ours. It is a competitive political environment. You're competing for the attention of lawmakers and their staff. So the more involved our industry is by supporting our trade associations and by letting lawmakers know, I'm out here. I'm a contributor to the economy. This is my economic footprint. These are the jobs I represent. These are the critical technologies. That is so critically important. Understanding and education are the first step on the road to policy change. And we've got to have that. Now, the notion that a printed circuit board manufacturer or owner assembler, for that matter, might be pushing on their their local chamber of commerce for support seems, I don't know, perhaps probably a little bit unusual, um, you know, in, in most circles. I, I kind of wonder whether part of the strategy there is because permitting, of course, in the United States is a big issue. Mm-hmm. And for the last, you know, 40 plus years, there really has been a lot of barriers put up, uh, you know, when it comes to printed circuit fabrication. We have water issues, we have uh, toxic chemical issues, um, you know, just the, the land issues. Um, there's there's a whole host of things that have to be dealt with um, in order to put a shovel in the ground. I would say that it's it's been nice to see, you know, in the last few years, uh, Vicor, um, SEL, SpaceX, have invested in what are essentially captive PCB operations. Uh, Green Source, Calumet, and TTM have opened or, or you know have announced new merchant plants. None of those companies are building in California, strikingly enough. Um, but the you know most of them are building in kind of out of the way places. They're not building in Massachusetts either, and you know which is where I'm at. You know except for Vicor. So you know, is the is the idea here that you know the local chambers can help pave the way to um, to understanding you know why these types of businesses are actually uh, you know long-term good investments uh, in in a community right manufacturing jobs tend to be long-range careers and you know so there's a lot the, uh, when it comes to community stability that these types of businesses can offer am I out on a, on a limb here or is that part of the thinking? No, in fact, you are mirroring the sentiment that the Department of Congress, excuse me, the Department of Commerce is expressing when it puts out these funding documents for the CHIPS Act. One of the things that you see, and these are 75-page documents, when you get into the language is that when you apply for these federal funds, they want to see the partnerships, the agreements, the permitting process that you've already gone through with the state of Arizona, with the city of Chandler, for example, right? And the federal government is reflecting what you're saying, that simply having federal money, simply having federal tax incentives is not enough. You can have the funds to put up a building. You need the permit to put up a building. You need to have cleared regulatory approval. Now, the federal government can't do very much to relax the rules or speed the process at the state and local level. But I think there's a recognition that there is a partnership with state and local government and the federal government, right? The federal government providing the funding, the state and local governments in many cases providing either incentives or speeding through regulatory processes to get us where we need to go. The industry has faced for a long time challenges in that arena. And, you know, I would say to state lawmakers, hey, federal money is now available. Look to your local communities and ask yourself if there could be a new Greenfield initiative, right? In the case of the state of New York, in the case of the state of Michigan, I think they've showed a lot of vision in expanding domestic capacity and in making it easier to do business, not every state is going to take the same attitude. 
right? We certainly see this in any number of manufacturing sectors. It's more advantageous. It's easier to do business in certain states. And that's sort of a competitive environment that we're going to have to operate in. I think there are enough municipalities, enough localities, enough states that see the economic potential. They see careers in microelectronics manufacturing. They see jobs for for college graduates with degrees like engineering, right? They see significant economic impact because everything in the modern world relies on microelectronics. It isn't just vacuum cleaners. It isn't just automobiles. It's electric vehicle chargers. It's windmills. It's solar panels. It's every satellite flying, you know, uh, off off to space. Any community is going to look at this and go, yeah, there's a market. Absolutely. Why don't we make this here? This isn't the kind of manufacturing, like for example, textiles, where I think it's gone overseas and it's not coming back. We were the leader in this at one time, and I think we can be in a very strong position again. Uh, You mentioned earlier in the show that you have 44 members. Uh, That number jumped out of me. So that's gone up quite a bit since the last time we talked, I think. Yes, I'm really proud of the fact that both individuals and corporations are are signing up uh, and signing up aggressively. When we launched in 2021, we had five founding members. Uh, we've almost 10x our membership. My goal by our three year anniversary next year would be uh, to be at 50 members and beyond. And we are talking every week to companies and individuals that are passionate about American manufacturing, passionate about microelectronics, about reshoring policy, making more of what we depend on here in the United States. And they're joining our effort all the time. So we are uh, a big tent welcoming not just manufacturers, but critical materials suppliers and their partners in the value chain. And again, I'm talking to a diversity of folks all the time about what we're all about, what our mission is. We're still fairly new. We're still fairly young. But yes, many companies have seen advantage of having a dedicated organization that educates, advocates, and pushes legislative change that simply didn't exist four years ago. So in summary, PCBAA has a very aggressive, um, and I mean that in a positive way, uh, legislative um, calendar coming up uh, over the next 12 or 18 months. Yeah, 2024, of course, is an election year, which in some ways provides incentive to move legislation. In other ways, it distracts from lawmakers' focus. But it's the um, you know second session of the 118th Congress starting in January. And as I said, we have a number of different priorities. There's things that we have to keep sold for a number of years. There's new initiatives that we need to advance. And I want to get to a place just like where we are with semiconductors, where any lawmaker you speak to says, I know what print circuit boards are. I know what substrates are. I understand the technology stack. I get the sense that we led in one era and we have contracted. And I want to right that ship. I want to turn that around. We have I would say dozens of lawmakers today who understand that argument. I want to make it hundreds of lawmakers at the federal and the state level. I think we can do it. I'm really looking forward to this uh, this upcoming year, and I probably shouldn't because it is an election year, and that always causes lots of of tension. Um, but traditionally, and this is in my you know nearly 40 years in this industry, uh, traditionally what's happened is that the first half of the election year, everybody just kind of holds their breath, and everything is sort of on pause. And then the second half, even before the election happens, people start exhaling a little bit, you know, as the uh, the outcomes start to come into focus and people have a better sense of, you know, what the following year will start to look like and, you know, spigots start to open and, and work get, actually gets done. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that given all of the, 
you know, with with everything going on, you know, in the in the world and in the country, that uh, we won't be paralyzed by the election. Um, but you know, I, I know historically, you know, there's there's a little bit of that. Um, you know, maybe you get a different sense. No, I you know, I spent a long time in Washington D.C., and I certainly understand that. Uh, you know, the fact the entire House is up every two years, a third of the Senate up is up, and in this case, we're going into a presidential election year. It's a tremendous distraction. I will try to be a glass half full guy on this and say that candidates running for office want to talk about making things in America. They want to talk about global competition and the need to lead in critical technology sectors. We can gladly, gladly give them that opportunity. They want to show legislative achievement. I've got a great bill, H.R. 3249, the Protecting Circuit Boards and Substrates Act. And I think they want to identify in their communities that they're a champion for the economic drivers, the economic engines. This is another great opportunity. So I see the distraction coming. I know the noise that 2024 is is going to bring into all of our lives. Uh, But I want to be an optimist on behalf of our industry. And I want to say that our growing team is going to push very, very hard next year for change. And there's no plan to roll up the carpets in 2024. As I mentioned, we have several multi-year fights. You mentioned state and local work that needs to be done. We're going to be here years into the future fighting on behalf of the industry. So, you know, when you and I come back for the uh, 2028 election discussion, it'll be more interesting stories and more work that needs to be done. So besides anything we've already discussed, uh, is there anything else that we need to relay to listeners before we close? No, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Um, I know that day to day, all of your listeners are struggling to innovate. They're struggling to make payroll, to ship product. It's a challenging economic environment, and it is often easy to forget about the need to talk about policy, to talk about the need for legislative outcomes that benefit our industry. That's why PCBAA exists. You're giving us a chance to reach those folks. Their business is making microelectronics that the world needs. Our business is advocating on their behalf. So if we uh, if we put those two concerns together, I think we can do great things. And I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, David. And let's not forget to let people know how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. PCBAA.org. Follow us on social media, LinkedIn and Twitter, and stay abreast of all the work that we're doing in DC on your behalf. Thanks, David. Our guest today has been David Shield, Executive Director of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. And David, thanks again for bringing us up to speed on the domestic legislation and also the other activities that you're undertaking to support PCB production in the U.S. Always great to be here, Mike. Happy holidays. For PCB Chat, this is Mike Buto. Have a nice day.